It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. We live in strange and volatile times, times in which a difference in ideology can quickly turn family against family, friend against friend, and even believer against believer. It is critical that we, the church, walk through this time in wholehearted agreement with the Holy Spirit, His truth, His mercy, and His love. Hey, this is Eric, and this is the 49th installment in my series entitled Spiritual Lessons from World War II. If you would like to catch up on the other 48 soul-stirring episodes, you can find the link to the series at ellersley.com forward slash daily. Now let's head off to war in North Africa in November of 1942, where, like what all of us are experiencing in the year 2020, strange and volatile events are unfolding. A man named Francois Darlin is going to providentially arrive in Algiers on the night of November 7th because his son is deathly ill. Darlin is a man the Allies hate. After all, he betrayed them. But in spite of that, Darlin is a man in the crosshairs of God's love and mercy. And God is very intent on reaching this runaway. This message uh, is the 49th installment in this series called Spiritual Lessons from World War II. Uh, it's called Reaching the Runaway. The, the title should have more intrigue in it. This is like a French intrigue. It really is interesting. I mean, this could be turned into a movie very easily. And I'm going to try and restrain myself from getting caught up in the intrigue side of it and give the spiritual parallel side of it, which to me is actually fantastic. It's beautiful. And it's fitting for us today uh, in many regards, we have a, a breakdown generationally where parents are raising their children to live a certain way, to think a certain way, and the collegiate system of our day is completely inverting uh, it all. It is turning it on its head to the point where it's turning children against their parents. Very uh, wild dynamics uh, that we're facing today. There was a, a case where there's a, a very strong conservative guy who's running for office, I want to say a Senate position, uh, or it might be a governor uh, position, and his daughter is, uh, just came out publicly and said, if you're over 18 years old, do not vote for my dad, uh, because she, you know, he, she calls him a racist. Uh, he has this endemic racism that is baked in. And the, the tensions that are there are very real, and you see so many families being split because of this departure from biblical thought, from a worldview that centers around Jesus and his cross. It is now centered around man's own virtue and man's own ability to discern right from wrong. Humanism is what we've always historically understood it as. It's where man becomes center. Man's ideas, man's value system becomes higher than God's. And anyone who esteems God's value system is on the outs looking in. And so we see a conversion in our country of the younger generation. And so in this, you know, reaching the runaway, uh, we have so many that are departing normal sexual orientation to the point where they're, you know, I think Facebook was declaring 54 genders, and that's like a few years ago. Uh, and where it is totally normal and acceptable to consider yourself a giraffe now, uh, or I'm an elephant, uh, and, and everyone's supposed to nod along and say, good for you. And it's a level of insanity that it's like the emperor walking down the street naked and no one says anything. And the one little kid that has any sense is going to say, Mommy, why is the emperor naked? And then everyone's, you know, like horrified. Are you allowed to say that? Mommy, why is this culture so dumb? Because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with this inversion uh, of everything that used to be right is now wrong and everything that used to be wrong is now right. And you could pick anything. It's like, well, this used to be one of the most horrible things and now it's being protected. And, you know, you can follow the trajectory to the point where, uh, you know, we're killing babies and that's now the right to choose and it's, it's, it's noble. Uh, pedophilia and taking advantage of little kids will suddenly become a virtue. This is the inversion of society where that which 
we value as Christians, what Christ has esteemed as moral is becoming inverted. It's interesting, you come to the tribes, uh, the cannibal tribes in Papua New Guinea, and you see a similar thing, a breakdown, where when darkness rules and Satan controls, held by witch doctors, and fear is what rules the culture. Fear. Isn't that interesting? Think about what's ruling our culture right now. Fear. If fear can rule, then all sorts of other nonsense can take place underneath it. It becomes a canopy for darkness. And so what you saw, like when Don Richardson was reaching the Donnie tribe, was it the Donnie? Is that, it sounds uh, funny, but we'll, we'll go with it for now. When he's reaching this tribe, it's like they're inverted. Their hero was the one who is the deceiver and who stabs someone in the back. So when he shared the gospel story with them and he gets to the story of Judas, of Is- Judas Iscariot, they celebrate him as the hero in the story. And he's like, no, no, <laughs> don't you see the virtue of Jesus? They see the virtue of Judas. And talk about a unique challenge. How do you reach what I'm gonna call in this story the runaway? How do you reach the one who has departed? Because for us, we have a tension in our soul. The bait of the enemy is to respond in like spite because the runaways want the system destroyed and they want the leaders of that system, which includes their parents, destroyed. It's a very weird world we live in right now. And so what we, the, the holders of Christ's perspective in this generation, have to respond differently than we're being baited to respond. We need to show mercy, love, and kindness, but how do you win them? The goal isn't to just pacify. The goal is to convert, is to see someone return home. So rescuing the runaway, that's, that's what this is about. It's based on a fascinating storyline in World War II in <clears throat> 1942. I'm still in 1942. Now, if you remember where we're at in the flow, Monday's message was called Before Alamein. The second battle of El Alamein, which is in North Africa, October 23rd, 1942, is a critical juncture in Great Britain's role in the war. It's the first time that they're actually going to win a battle, the way Winston Churchill will describe it, okay? Because they won small battles, but then they're going to lose the same territory. So overall, on paper, they still haven't won anything. El Alamein is going to mark a victory that they're going to keep, and from that point, they're going to win every other battle for the rest of World War II. So it's a hinge point. It's a turning point in the flow of the entire war. They were going to do Sledgehammer, if you remember my Friday message called Stuck on Sledgehammer, which is a second front attacking northern France, which we're going to see unfold later in the war, and it's called D-Day, the beaches of Normandy, and instead they're going to attack northern Africa, which is called Operation Torch. Operation Torch is scheduled for November 8th, and it's going to start in a city in Algeria called Algiers. And it's a very, very significant step forward in the war because Great Britain has been silent for a long time, and all they've been doing is losing. And so all of the critics back in Great Britain are sort of like, Winston Churchill, what are you doing? You're sitting on your thumbs? We're getting beat up. Everywhere we've, we've gone, we're losing. What are you doing? At least the Americans won at Midway. What are we doing? And so Algiers is actually going to be the first dual uh, battle where you're going to have the Americans and the British fighting together. It's the first time. Uh, and so Eisenhower, remember, great name for American history, Dwight D. Eisenhower is going to be over the American operations. And so we're bringing in these American names finally. Uh, up to this point, Roosevelt's about the only American name we ever seem to mention, other than Harry Hopkins. And so now we actually have some American characters, and we're like, yeah, go America. And so uh, this is reaching the runaway, and it's going to be dealing with the two Frances. I know that sounds funny, because most of us are like, well, isn't there one France? Well, y- in history, there's actually two Frances. I know that sounds strange. And you see, France is, has problems in World War II. France is an ally with Great Britain when it starts. Now, this is somewhat of a review because if you've gone through the whole thing, this is a critical thing that happens in 1940. But France is not going to 
fight very well at the beginning of World War II. They are going to collapse like a house of cards. And they are going to fall and then seek appeasement and an armistice with Germany and Hitler. And so you're going to have anyone that stood against Hitler in France is going to be arrested. Charles de Gaulle is going to sneak away. Uh, and he is going to set up as he's going to be set up as the head of free France. Okay, so the ones that are not under Hitler. And yet there's this other France that forms, and its capital city is Vichy. And so it's called Vichy France. And throughout history, it's just, that's what it's called. And so, and that's uh, headed up by a guy named Patan. And Patan is going to be tried as a, the ultimate traitor at the end of the war. And he's going to go down in history with a big boo from all the French, even though he's one of the greatest heroes in French history from World War I. So he is going to betray his country. He is going to be called Marshal Patan, and he's going to lead the Vichy government, and they are going to side with Hitler against Great Britain. And so they, he gets power, and he gets to control, and as long as they stay loyal, then there's going to be an unoccupied France, about 40% of the country, which will be left alone, and Hitler will not touch it as long as France stays in its seat and they don't do anything wrong. Okay, so that gives you a little background here. We have two Frances. We have a France that has gone rogue and run away. And then we have a France that is loyal uh, to uh, the true cause, to the truth, to stand against evil. So the players in this French intrigue, just making it a, a French intrigue instead of just an intrigue, doesn't it make it more intri intriguing just in and of itself? Doesn't it seem like the French have more intrigue than most countries? So here's our first character. His name is General Charles, Charles de Gaulle. Uh, and I'm going to liken him, even though he's, you're not going to see his name come up very often in this, to the church. You see, the church is in a very unique position, just like de Gaulle is in this. The Americans and the, great, and, the, and the British are actually not going to bring de Gaulle into their Operation Torch. They're not even telling him about it. They're going to actually be attacking Vichy France-held uh, territory in northern Africa. So what they're hitting, like in Algiers, that's held by Vichy France. And that's a French colonial uh, area. And so it only makes sense you'd bring in de Gaulle because de Gaulle is for free France. However, what they're wanting to do is turn the French in the, the, the Vichy French, I always need to clarify, this is the, the bad French, you know, the ones that are siding with Hitler, back to the true side. But to do that, they don't feel they can use de Gaulle because these people hate de Gaulle. Doesn't that feel like what we're dealing with today too? It's like, we're the church. You know how many people out there that are standing against the truth have been harmed in the church? Which puts us in a very awkward position. It's like, why don't you come and visit our church? You follow me? This is a hard one because like, I don't ever want to be found dead in a church building. What about when you get married? I'll marry outside if necessary. I don't want to be in a church building. You see, we represent something like de Gaulle where we have stood faithful the whole time and yet there's a meh associated with it, right? And so that's Charles de Gaulle. And then we have General Hen uh, and if I was going to say it with the French flair, uh, it would sound very different than this, right? But Henry Girard, and it's probably more like Henry Girard, you know, I, I don't know exactly how to, some of you speak French and you're like looking at me going, that was terrible. Well, that's why I'm saying I'm not saying it with a French uh, flair and a French accent. So General Henry Girard uh, is going to be symbolic of the truth in this. And that, that'll make more sense as I progress. Uh, fascinating character. I'm very excited to go into uh, General uh, Girard. And then we have Marshal Philippe Pétain, who he is the one I was describing as the ultimate traitor in this. He is the one that heads up the Vichy government. He's sort of like the prime minister of bad France, okay? And he is going to be tried and, and convicted of treason at the end of the war. In other words, it's not going to go so well for him. He's a nice looking guy, you have to admit that, but he's going to be symbolic of the flesh. In other words, it's this control system that is controlling a key character in this story. And that character, I think he's next on our list, Admirable, Admiral Francois Darlin. We're going to call him the runaway. So 
I gave a message way back in the beginning of this series called The Darlin' Conspiracy. And it was about this guy. And this guy has, hangs in the balance. He's our key picture of that part of the world today that was on the side of good and then rejected the side of good and sided with evil but is miserable in their sin. This guy is serving Hitler. <laughs> I mean, could you think of a worse situation? And he knows it's wrong. And he's been nursing for years, ever since he made the terrible choice, because he could have power in, in serving under Hitler. Hitler promised him all sorts of things. And so he chose to go in that direction and actually stand against free France. And so he's betrayed everything he knows is good and right, and he's miserable because of it. So this guy is nursing these notions of how could I get back to the side of good, but he cannot, he's so proud, he has no outlet of escape. He's so caught in his Vichy France system that he can't get out. I mean, doesn't this create great intrigue? So he's our runaway. So I'm going to give you a quick review. We're going to have to go back to 1940 to sort of build our story again, because France is going to fall like a house of cards in 1940. Yeah, I'm correct, 1940. I was teaching on America, and I was saying 19-something. It was 15-something. I need to make sure I'm in my right uh, century. 1940. Admiral Francois Darlin, he's the French traitor. So we're going to call him the self-assured. In, he's in total control of the fourth strongest naval power in the world. He has rebuilt the French Navy to literally be the strongest maybe in its history. And so this guy has accomplished so much. He has such a commanding presence. He's a great leader. In every regard, he's your chosen vehicle. I mean, he's the right guy, but he is he's pompous, he's arrogant, and he's susceptible. He's viable. He has a purchase price. And Hitler finds it. And so as a result, he's swayed in this. And it's a, it's a very terrible betrayal. So I'm going to give you from Winston Churchill's memoirs. And this is back in his reflections in 1940. In the closing days at Bordeaux, Admiral Darlin became very important. So this is way back in 1940. And it's called, the, I have another message called the Bordeaux Collapse where they've moved from Paris, France to Bordeaux, France as their capital because the Germans are encroaching. And Bordeaux is going to actually have this key meeting where they're going to side with Hitler and side against uh, the Allies. I mean, it's a terrible moment in history. And so Admiral Darlin is going to be very, very important in this. So Winston Churchill continues, as the end of the French resistance approached, he, speaking of Darlin, had repeatedly assured me that whatever happened, the French fleet should never fall into German hands. So the F French have this massive naval power. And I think at the time it was considered, what, fourth uh, strongest in the world. And so as a result, what happens to this, if it combines with the German power, the Germans are dominant all over the world. They will dominate uh, the oceans. And so as a result, that fleet is very, very important. And Darlin, who's over it, promises Churchill it will not fall into German hands. Now at Bordeaux came the fateful moment in the career of this ambitious, self-seeking, and capable admiral. His authority over the fleet was for all practical purposes absolute. He had only to order the ships to British, American, or French colonial harbors. Just order your ships to go somewhere, Admiral Darlin. He's not doing it. Darlin? What are you doing? Darlin, hey, uh, excuse me, but you promised to, to not let these ships fall into German hands. So June 17th, 1940, Darlin says, yes, we will move the naval fleet to safety, far away from the control of Hitler. Now look, the next day, he flips. Darlin, hmm, what if I decided not to do this? Patan has made a declaration that in three weeks, Great Britain's neck will be wrung like a chicken. That's how much time Patan believes Great Britain will continue to stand. And so Darlin's thinking is if in three weeks Great Britain's neck will be wrung like a chicken, as Patan claims, then maybe appeasing Hitler would be the route with the most advantageous future. Oh, no, not Darlin. Dar say, say it isn't so. So the next day, June 18th, 1940, General Georges met Darlin in the afternoon and asked him what had happened. Darlin replied that he had changed his mind. When asked why, he answered simply, I am now Minister of Marine. 
It's as simple as that. So now that's sort of the beginning of the movie, you know, where you have this foundation and then it like says uh, two years later, you know, that, that type of uh, an experience. So now let's fast forward to the night of November 7th, 1942, the eve of Operation Torch. So what the Americans and the British are doing is they're attacking northern France, which is Vichy territory. And this is very strategic for the control of the Mediterranean. And if it goes well, it's going to distract the Germans from their attack on Russia. And it, it has a domino effect of a lot of different things. It is going to give, uh, it's going to greatly weaken the Italians because of their exposure to the Mediterranean. And as a result, it's domino effect upon domino effect to actually regain power of Europe for the Allies. Okay, it's a very strategic maneuver. And it starts in Algiers. And so Operation Torch, no one knows about this except for the key people that are involved. It is highly confidential. So Darlin has no clue about this. He has no expectation. If anything, everyone on the Axis side of the ledger is thinking, because of the way the British have worked, thinking that there's an attack in all sorts of different other areas. And so they're bringing all their military reinforcements to all these other areas. I mean, the way it was handled is brilliant. The one thing you can say about the British is they're very good in their spy network and in their disinformation campaigns. <laughs> and so as a result, they've totally misled the Germans and the Italians and the Vichy French to think that they know what the British are doing when in actuality they have no idea. And so we're on the eve of Operation Torch and Darlin is going to come back into the story. Now he's not based in Algiers. He has no idea that this is going to happen, but his son comes down with an extreme sickness and he needs to get him to a top-notch hospital. And the closest hospital that he can get him to is in Algiers. And he is going to arrive in Algiers on November 7th. So this is literally the evening before the attack on Algiers. Darlin is going to show up, okay? Providence is at work. So we're going to call this the pursuit of the runaway. I need to, to, to show you this pursuit. We need to introduce you to this character that I'm likening to the truth in this. Because this is how the truth works. The truth is continually being tried to, I mean, we, the enemy is trying to bottle it up. He tries to distort it. He tries to take it captive, right? And the truth keeps breaking out. And every generation you'll see the, the, the truth will have this great escape routine that no matter what the enemy does, the Bible lives on. The truth lives on. The truth of Jesus lives on. It doesn't matter what the enemy is trying to do. For whatever reason, we still know it today, right? And that's the, that's the way the truth works. This guy, he is nicknamed uh, Kingpin by the Allies. To them, they can't use Charles de Gaulle but they need to use someone. Someone that they believe the Vichy French will trust. And so whereas Charles de Gaulle is left in the dark on this, he's brought in the night before actually, uh, on the 7th, Winston Churchill is going to tell him, sorry we couldn't tell you about all this, but this is what's about to happen. And so they're going to bring in this guy, who is a free French guy, but he has been captive in Germany under Hitler, lock and key, since 1940. And yet, uh, Hitler cannot keep the truth locked down. This is a good story. Uh, so, I'm going to give you the, the treacherous runaway is Francois Darlin, and then the courageous escapee is Henri Girard. So, I got this from history.com. I just felt it was simple enough to say the entire story, because this story, this is a good movie, guys. This right here. This guy is legendary for being captured in Germany in 19, uh, well, I don't know what year it was. It was in World War I, 1917 is I think what it was. And he's going to escape, this miraculous escape in World War I. Well, guess what? He gets captured and imprisoned in Germany again. Could you imagine if you were him? It's like, you've got to be kidding. How did I end up here? 20 years later, he ends up in Germany again, now under Hitler, under lock and key. Now, he is a critical leader. Like, he's a general-level guy. And so, as a result, Hitler has a high guard over him. So, listen to this. On April 17, 1942, French General Henri Girard, who was captured in 1940, escapes from a castle prison 
and, at Königstein by lowering himself down the castle wall and jumping on board a moving train, which takes him to the French border. Hitler, outraged, ordered Gerard's assassination upon being caught, but the French general was, was able to make it to North Africa via a British submarine. He joined the French free forces under General Charles de Gaulle and eventually helped to rebuild the French army. So that's a global description. The place we are right now is the British are helping him, and they're going to help him get to North Africa. So that's where we're at in that grand drama right there. But isn't that cool? So we have the truth that is like the enemy is trying to cloak it, trying to disguise it, trying to assassinate it. He wants to stop it at all costs. And yet the truth is just the truth. It's slippery. It's going to make its way out into the open and shine its light no matter what. So the strange and amazing series of events. Gerard miraculously escapes from Hitler's clutches, surreptitiously makes his way to Great Britain. He is selected to take command of the Allied troops in North Africa. And on November 7th, Admiral Darlin has an emergency that takes him to Algiers. His son has a dangerous illness. So this is going to bring everything together on November 7th. You're going to have the truth and the runaway meeting up in Algiers. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's the easiest uh, little encounter. You see, the, if you were going to get away from the spiritual parallels, we have a very awkward situation here because Admiral Darlin is actually the most powerful figure in North Africa for the Vichy French. And he just happens to be right in the center of where they're attacking. This was supposed to be done secretly and Admiral, I mean, literally one of their key guys is right there. So they're hoping that he's going to leave before they attack but he's persistent that he's going to stay with his son. He is not going to leave his son. So as a result, this whole attack is coming in. He's right in the middle of it. And so as a result, this is going to create a dynamic. Because Gerard is supposed to be the one who comes in and woos the Vichy French and says, follow me. And instead, Darlin's in the middle of this. And so... You see God's providence in this, that God is giving an opportunity for repentance and restitution to Darlin, very similarly to the way he does for us. He hasn't given up on Vichy France. He hasn't given up on Admiral Francois Darlin. It's amazing, but Darlin is going to get an opportunity to rectify something that he did wrong. You know, in every regard, he has blown it. And why he is given this opportunity is just as crazy as why we are given our opportunity. But it's also important for us to recognize that God gives opportunity when we as humans would not think to give opportunity. And in this situation, if there was ever an opportunity that a French guy does not deserve, it would be Admiral Darlin. What he has cost the allies as far as in lives, what he has cost his country is so extreme that most people, even in France, would say, do not give him any mercy. And yet you're going to see, in a strange sense, God's providence give him mercy. You're going to see a mercy come to this man who is undeserving of it. That's why I'm calling this reaching the runaway. We have so many darlings in the world today. And we might as well start out by just recognizing we're all darlings at a certain level. It sounds like I'm Southern and I'm saying darling, but I'm saying it is darling. Uh, we're all needing of a tremendous mercy. Every one of us. There's no exception to that. We're like Darlins in this story. So the Darlin deal, November 7th through 10th, 1942. The difficulty of this is very interesting because they're going to decide to take Darlin into their confidence, which is a very difficult thing to do because he's loyal to Hitler and to Patan. So this could go very wrong. And yet, their sources, their, their secret you know, British spy network are saying that they believe that Darlin actually regrets his decision. Have you ever felt that when you're, when you're communicating with some, a lost soul? That you're like, they're giving you all sorts of a bristle when, when you talk to them, but you have a hunch. <laughs> Your sources are telling you <laughs> that they actually want the truth. I've had situations, really humorous situations if you look at it, where someone is, they show up at church, right? And why are they at church? I mean, out of all the places to come, and 
then they're lingering to talk with me afterwards. And then I start talking to them about their soul and they get mad at me. And they're upset that there I go again, talking to them about their salvation. And so I just call their bluff. It's like, look, in all, for all practical purposes, I'm convinced that you actually want the truth and you want me to pursue you. you and you know I will. And so as a result, I'm going to start from that premise. So I remember this one guy asked him the question. I go, so tell me, would you like me to give up on you? Or would you like me to pursue you right now? I'll give you those two options. Do you want me to give up and not pursue your soul? Or do you want me to pursue your soul like a hound dog right now? And here's this guy who's been giving me all this bluster. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, he says, I want you to pursue my soul. Aha! <laughs> so Darlin's in a similar situation where he has the bluff on. He's loyal to Hitler. He's loyal to Bataan, but he sure wishes he wasn't. But he is in a difficult situation because if he stands against Fatan and Hitler, then actually it'll be a violation of the armistice and Hitler will come in and take the other 40% of France. So imagine if you're darling to, to actually do what is right will cause more harm now. Okay, uh, many of us get into that same uh, complex system of, of sin where sin becomes entangled because of this sin, which was then added onto this sin, which added onto this sin, to get out of this sin and to repent actually creates a domino effect. And so as a result, you have a complexity that tries to hold you captive. What you're gonna see is Darlin willing to walk out and face the consequences because he is going to rise up. Now, most people in history are not gonna be positive on Darlin. I'm, I, I have a tremendous mercy for this guy. But most are going to just look at it politically and they're going to say, that guy is evil. And I don't care what he did in northern Africa. I don't care that he called for a ceasefire and all, for all his men to not, uh, to not fight uh, and to, to lay down or to join the side of the allies. I don't care. He did what was wrong. But mercy triumphs over judgment. And so as a result, I have a certain fondness for Darlin. I don't know where it comes from, but maybe it's all my years in functioning out of this one mentality that says mercy triumphs. And I see him desiring truth, but being caught in his lies. And so the Darlin deal, Darlin, we need you. You see, Gerard is going to come in and all the French troops, all the Vichy troops are going to have an icy stare back at him. And they're going to be like, you think we're going to fight for you? We fight for Darlin. And so suddenly they're in an awkward position. And Eisenhower is going to make an unusually difficult decision. And instead of putting Gerard in charge of all the armed forces in northern Africa, he's going to put Darlin over it. Now this is actually not that altogether dissimilar from the way it works for us. Truth comes into our life. And we oftentimes are going to give it the icy stare. And if I go up to someone in the LGBTQ, and then you can add all the other letters and plus uh, signal after uh, that. I don't even know what the, what the whole uh, thing is now. But there is a disposition of hostility just there. The truth is not wanted, but it sort of is. You see, when you're caught in your web of darkness, there's sin is pleasurable for a season, but then it goes south. Just like I could say with Chaz in Seattle, okay, our Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, it's going to be fun for a few days. But sin and lawlessness actually has a big cost on the backside. And it leads to a certain form of misery and death. And so as a result, though this adventure in... Uh, Anarchy uh, seems really fun at first, it has a cost to it. And so when you defy God and you end up enslaved in darkness, there's really not a lot of joy in that, even though you oftentimes still have to defend your position and you vigorously will. So we have a Darlin situation here, and it's difficult. But God is not going to overrule our soul to rule our life. In other words, there's a will that hangs in the balance. Darlin. And he needs to reach Darlin to reach the northern French. 
he need, or of Africa. He needs to actually go through, just like with us, he doesn't bypass us to control our body. He actually appeals to us and wins us. And we humble ourselves and we say, I was wrong. Lord, if you would receive me back to the allies, I want to fight for you. That's a great, great story here. I mean, this is the way I see it, okay? A lot of history uh, buffs are, hate Darlin, okay? I, and I get that. He's going to be assassinated uh, just under two months later by a loyalist French who is so disgusted that mercy would be shown to this guy. Isn't that interesting? So there's a dynamic that I want to be watchful of. There's a loyalist French attitude that we could very easily have, and it's dangerous. So Admiral Francois Darlin, the cost for turning on Vichy France is great. You ever felt that where the flesh is sort of barking down uh, at your soul, saying, you dare turn on me, and you'll find such great consequences. I've been taking care of you. I've given you position in northern France, and you're going to treat me this way? Patan is not happy right now, if you can just imagine. And all the guilt is being heaped on Darlin. If you do this, Hitler's going to come in and take this territory, which, by the way, Hitler's going to do. I mean, all of the dominoes are going to fall, just like you wouldn't want them to. And Darlin is going to move in this direction anyway. So listen to this. Now, this actually isn't Darlin speaking. This is about Francois Darlin. This is uh, Winston Churchill. Now, circumstances had changed, and with them, Darlin's attitude. But whatever thoughts he might have nourished of aiding an Anglo-American or British-American occupation of North Africa, he was still bound to Patan in form and in fact. He knew that if he went over to the Allies, he would become personally responsible for the invasion by Germany of unoccupied France. Whew, that's a heavy weight to deal with. So Winston Churchill continues, the reception of Gerard, remember our hero, our escapee guy, who is going to become very, very significant in the story, but right now, he's just symbolic of the truth. He's the appeal. And so what's going to happen is Gerard is going to, in a sense, lead through, get this, he's going to lead through Darlin. The truth wants to come into this culture, but what does it need? It needs willingness on the part of us. We need to bend to the truth, and then the truth works through us. We're in that darling role, and the truth wants to work through that runaway out there. God wants to redeem what he purchased on that cross. Is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? Well, that runaway out there is part of his reward. And he wants us to catch the vision for that. To not cut off the darling, but to appeal to the darling, to pursue the darling. So the reception of Girard by the leading French commanders was icy. The local resistance organization, that's the British way of spelling organization, fostered by American and British agents had already collapsed. Clark's, Clark is the American general representing uh, Eisenhower in this situation. So General Clark's first conference with Darlin produced no agreement. It was obvious that no one of importance would accept Gerard as supreme general commander, or as supreme French commander. Next morning, General Clark arranged a second meeting with the admiral. He told Eisenhower by radio that a deal with Darlin was the only solution. We have to win this guy. <laughs> we can't bypass him. It's, it's the way that, I just want you to imagine. We can imagine that God comes to this earth and he bypasses the church. And he just says, you know what, I don't need people. I'm just going to do this my way. But God doesn't do that. His solution is def defined already, and that is that he has chosen to utilize his people. He's chosen to utilize human beings as his delivery vehicle of the glory of God. So, Darlin was the only solution. There was no time to engage in telegraphic discussions with London and Washington. Girard was not present. Darlin hesitated on the ground of lack of instruction from Vichy. Clark gave him half an hour to make up his mind. The admiral at length agreed to order a general ceasefire throughout North Africa. So you're going to see Darlin, who's really struggling here. He's in the throes of that dark night because he's in agony. I mean, he has 
betrayed his country. He has betrayed the allies. He has sided with evil. And he knows it's wrong. He doesn't want to continue to side with evil. But the consequences of giving over to the good side again are so extreme. And he's so concerned about his reputation. He wants to be remembered in history as a good guy. But he doesn't, I mean, think about at this time. At this time, Germany occupies almost all of Europe and Japan almost all of Asia and the Pacific. At this time, if you're Darlin, you're siding against the greater power in the world at this time to go with the truth, to go with what you know is right. Ooh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. It's like becoming a Christian right now. Becoming a Christian right now is a very unique decision because it's so incorrect. Who would ever do that? It's a darling position. You know what is true. You know what is right. You have been visited by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has convinced you that this behavior, oh darling, is incorrect. Please repent. Humble yourself and return to me. He's going to order a ceasefire. Remember, he has command. So when suddenly Darlin agrees, he can actually control the French troops, the French Vichy troops, which is going to turn the tide in North Africa, which is going to turn the tide in World War II. How important is Darlin? You see, historians could throw out Darlin, or even French historians especially, it's like, what a traitor. But it's like they forget mercy in this. And they forget that even those that have sinned, God can take that evil and turn it to good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so even though Darlin is going to blow it, he is going to do something in the end. It's one of those great stories that even though he's going to die a month and a half later, and it's, it's a sad story, but he's going to do so in a sense on the side of the right as opposed to the side of the wrong. As in 1940, the fate of the French fleet was again in the balance. He, Darlin, was the only man who could save it. So Hitler is going to sweep down into the unoccupied French territory. And what's he after? 73 ships in the French fleet. Who's over those ships? Darlin. Remember how Darlin promised that the Germans would never reach those ships? Now suddenly he's going to back his promise I mean, this is a great story. In every regard, he is actually going to make sure that those ships are not taken by the Germans. And so in the end, I know, a little delayed, he keeps his promise to Churchill. And the Germans do not get the French fleet. Isn't that a good story? That's, that's pretty amazing. Jesus Christ in Luke 15, 3 through 7, he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he is found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. So we can celebrate de Gaulle and his loyalty. We can celebrate Gerard and his loyalty. And yet we also celebrate Darlin and his conversion and his repentance. You see, that's how we as Christians see it. The world out there might be hostile to Darlin and say he doesn't deserve mercy. Sure, what he did, but that doesn't compensate for what he did wrong. Well, neither does your repentance compensate for what you did wrong. I mean, think about that. If we need to pay our debt, we're in trouble. Our debt isn't paid by our good deeds after we repent. It's like, I just need to make up for all of this. Praise God, it's paid for in the shed blood of Jesus. He's the one that is making up the difference. And the fact that he has such extreme mercy to us. I mean, we will make restitution as Christians when we come into the kingdom, what can I do to make things right? But there's certain things you can't make right. Darlin, there's who knows how many countless people have lost their life because of Darlin's decisions. He can't make certain things right, but he can do what he can do to return to that which is righteous. 
So Jesus also in Luke 15. Now remember Luke 15 is talking about all the lost things that are being found. So you have uh, the lost uh, coin, you have the lost sheep, and you have the lost son. And this is at the conclusion of the prodigal son story. And it's speaking of the older brother. Now there's a reason why I'm bringing out this. Because I want us to be watchful of the older brother mindset, which in this context you would understand it to be speaking of the Jews that had you know, stood loyal. They weren't the ones that rejected God's word and, and walked away. And yet, this is so applicable to where we're at. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Yeah, did you hear? Darlin has been put over the uh, North African troops, uh, and he's actually called for a ceasefire. He's back, guys. He's on the side of the Allies. Well, by the way, <laughs> that did not go over well. Charles de Gaulle is, uh, I mean, blood vessels bursting out of his neck. He is so infuriated by that, by what Eisenhower has done to put Darlin in that position. The French loyalists, the free French, who, is, who do they hate? Patan and Darlin. These are the great betrayers. How dare you show him mercy? How dare you give him any voice in this? Huh. Sound familiar, doesn't it? You see, if, if some of those that oppose Christianity right now and I'm not going to name names, but you could imagine names, okay? People that are actually destroying our culture right now and that are tactically maneuvering. If they were to repent and suddenly, you know, be speaking in a church, you know, somewhere, it's like, well, how come anyone's listening to that person? You see, Paul the Apostle went through the same thing. This was actually a big deal when the guy that was persecuting the Christians suddenly sees a bright light and is knocked off his horse, right? And he becomes a leader in the church. God's mercy is astounding. It really is. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time and yet you never gave me a young goat. So think about how de Gaulle feels in this. He's left out of even the discussions that they're even having the attack. And then he hears that Darlin is put over it. Gerard, you can imagine how he would feel, he has spent two years imprisoned because of Darlin. And now he shows up and Darlin is in command instead of him. Well, that, that's an interesting dynamic. So you can imagine older brother stuff going on here. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. That's, to me, it's so beautiful, the attitude of Christ. And I greatly appreciate it personally. First of all, being a Gentile, I'm really glad that God is this way. We would have no hope in this world if this wasn't the nature of God. So it's very, very important, just as the scriptures make it clear, we must forgive others. Because if we're not forgiving, then God can't forgive us. Well, the same is true for mercy. The same is true for love. You see, there's a flow-through channel that God desires us to take what he has given to us. He's given us mercy. He's given us love. He's given us forgiveness. We cannot bottle it up, but we must give it to the darlings. There are people right now that are rejecting Christianity that were raised well and are turning their back and spitting upon their heritage, spitting upon their parentage spitting upon the church. We could take that personally. We could pull a Charles de Gaulle and get really mad in it. And yet, I say we pull a Jesus Christ. Gerard is going to come into alignment with this 
and his leadership will shine through Darlin. And that's why I'm likening him to the, church, to, to the truth. De Gaulle, who has a lot of gall uh, in this situation, he's not happy about it at all, is like an older brother in this situation. Overall, de Gaulle will be considered a hero and Darlin will be considered a traitor, even though he's actually turning in this. His assassination is a very sad thing in my, in my mind because I feel like he lost the opportunity to make amends and to live a life that showcased a different direction. It's like a weighty burden for me when I, when I study the story. But at the same time, there's something beautiful in it that I want to hold on to. Two mentalities toward Darlin, the older brother and the father. Which one are we cultivating? I want us to have a mercy and a compassion and a love and a hope and a care for those that are rejecting Jesus right now, for those that are spitting on the truth, for those that have known the truth but have left it. I do not want us to be an older brother in this situation. I want us to be a father, to be one who exhibits that nature of the father towards that one that needs mercy. Very likely, so many of the people that we know in our life that are in this boat, they're in a form of misery just like Darlin was. They're nursing a hope that someone would pursue them, that someone would be bold enough to break through their crust and call their bluff and say, I know you want to come home. Let me help you come home. However, we as the church have to be like a father as opposed to an older brother in order to do that. Father, I ask for that very thing. I pray that your father heart would be in us. That nature of Christ, that love and redemption of Christ would work and be cultivated in us towards those that are lost and dying right now. Those that are caught in sin. Those that are politically and socially standing totally against the church of Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel in this country. Lord, I pray that we would be marked by your heart and your mercy. It's in the precious name that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.